1: Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet.
0: Welcome back to TFR for a special release. Today, I'm publishing a panel discussion with a group of top thinkers in the IoT space. The topic was navigating the future of IoT and was hosted at UI Labs in Chicago. They threw a great event with hundreds of very engaged folks in the audience. We were fortunate to have a great cross-section of professionals represented on the panel, providing perspectives from the founder, investor, corporate, and government side. I moderated the discussion, and the panel included Ben Forgan, CEO of Hologram, a recent addition to our portfolio at Newstack. Brenna Berman, Executive Director of City Digital at UI Labs. Jenny Fielding, the Managing Director of Techstars IoT. Jim Gagnard, CEO of Smart Signal, acquired by GE, and also Chairman of the Illinois Technology Association. And finally, Ty Finley, a Senior Associate at Pritzker Group Venture Capital. Big thanks to Paul Seaman and Carolyn Collins of UI Labs for hosting the event. Paul did a fantastic job pulling everything together and getting some great panelists for the discussion. And we discussed a range of topics, including what inning or stage of maturation is IoT at? We talked about the smart home and what the winners will look like in that space. We discussed how investors assess consumer versus enterprise IoT and suggestions for entrepreneurs with applications for each. We also got investor thoughts on the metrics they evaluate for IoT versus other horizontals like SaaS. We talked about the key barriers to mass IoT adoption, thoughts on security for IoT and the role of government, and we wrapped up with Q&A from audience members. I had a great time moderating the talk that went a lot deeper than your standard startup panel discussion. Here's the episode on navigating the future of IoT. <laughs>
2: All right, if uh, everyone can come in and sit down, that would be awesome. We're running a little bit late. All right, so I want to start by welcoming everyone to UI Labs. A lot of people are familiar faces who have been here before, a lot of new faces. Um, this is our first sort of formal startup event at UI Labs. Um, for those of you who don't know what we do, just very quickly, um, from a startup perspective, we are a testbed, and we have two labs. One is focused on manufacturing. We're building a future factory on the factory floor. It is going to be a real, a real factory line, and we welcome startups to come and hack the line, uh, showcase their products, try and improve production. And we've got a great team. If you break something, we'll fix it. On the other side, we have a city lab. Uh, We are in the fortunate and unique position to have a relationship with the city of Chicago. So if you're a startup that can make a building smarter or can make infrastructure smarter in any way, come work with us and you can test your products and showcase your products in the city. So one last thing that we're doing is we are starting to rent desks. Um, We're looking for specific types of startups. And I think the way, the emblematic way to describe that is If you are a business guy, it's 400 bucks a month. If you code, it's 300 bucks a month. (laughs) So, we want to be the place where serious startups come to harden their products, to work with our network, to find customers, and to hopefully help the Chicago ecosystem. So, I want to thank the IoT Council and Techstars IoT for a great day today and hopefully a great event. And I don't know who I'm handing the mic to, that's easy enough.
0: Okay. Welcome. Uh, let's talk some IoT, but first some introductions. Uh, so I'm Nick Moran. I am the host of The Full Ratchet. It is the, the very first venture capital podcast, uh, also the best rated. It's been around for about three years, and this will be published to the platform. Uh, I am also general partner at Newstack Ventures. We are an IoT pre-seed focused venture capital firm based here in Chicago.
3: Uh, Jim Ganyar, sort of retired tech company CEO. Uh, I have been in IoT when it was called M2M back in the late 90s before the great bubble burst. Some of you might have read that in history books, I'm not sure. Uh, I am still involved with a number of tech companies that are involved in IoT and uh, look forward to having an interesting chat about the, the next great platform in technology.
1: Hey, I'm Ben Forgan, uh, CEO of Hologram. Uh, we are providing cellular connectivity for Internet of Things devices, uh, as well as cloud and security tools to manage those things once they're online. So, I'm very familiar with uh, the concept of m2m. I think, I think, yeah, m2m. IoT has been around for a while. It's just called m2m, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. So that's me. Anyways, I'll stop
4: talking.
5: Um, I'm Brenna Berman, I'm the executive director here of City Digital, which is an IoT infrastructure lab. Um, I'm also the co-chair of the Midwest IoT Council, working with Jim on that, Um, focusing on bringing IoT here to the Midwest to drive economic growth.
6: Hey, I'm Jenny Fielding, I'm the Managing Director of Techstars. You've just met my 12 amazing companies and um, we've been here in Chicago all week uh, visiting and um, just loving all the incredible resources and the warm welcome we've got.
4: Ty Finley. I'm with the Pritzker Group Venture Capital Team. Um, we are the largest Midwest VC out here, and we certainly, uh, over a 20-plus year history founding, are funding over 200 entrepreneurs, believe strongly in the Chicago tech ecosystem, and, and IoT is certainly an area of interest for us. Uh, specific to my area of focus is more around the industrial IoT, advanced manufacturing, and site machine agri are a couple examples of that. But uh, thanks for having me. Look forward to the chat.
0: Good. All right. Let's talk some IoT. So Ben, I'm going to start with you. New portfolio company of ours. Happy to make an investment in the hologram. Um, So we've been hearing about IoT for decades. I have. Uh, In various different forms, various different titles. Um, But where do you think we're at? You know, we've seen a reduction in sensor costs, computing costs, networking costs. You're a part of that, I think. Um, But where do you think we're at in sort of the life cycle and the evolution of IoT?
1: Uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that I believe uh, if we were to phrase it in like innings, uh, I would say somewhere in like the third inning. Uh, you know, it's if you think about technology waves and, and IoT is certainly a really, really big one, and you know they tend to crest and then you can ride them down. I think that. You know, 2012, 2013, people were starting to understand uh, that this was something that was potentially transformative, um, and not really doing a whole lot about it. I think now there's still a a challenge to actually connect things to the internet, Um, and uh, and so I think that over the next couple of years, as you see those costs fall, uh, you'll see more and more things connected, and we'll really hit like a sweet spot. So yeah, it's staunchly like you know early middle.
0: Brenna, thoughts?
5: Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think part of why it's early is that a lot of industries, certainly cities, which is where I work, um, and communities, there's there's people finally getting excited about the use cases, about the actual value that, that can be created. So um, in my early work, it was, you know, Um, a lot of focus on the technology and the excitement of bringing the technology to life Um, but there wasn't a lot of realization of the value that that could create for the the average resident in my case walking down the street um, and making their life easier and now we see those use cases coming to life and that I think makes all the difference.
6: I mean, we've been investing at Techstars and IoT for over 10 years, um, so we've seen kind of the waves, and I think as you mentioned, like 2012, maybe we hit the kind of the, the top of the hype cycle, especially in consumer, um, but um, as, as this gentleman mentioned, it's been around for a long time, and people are just kind of renaming it, right? So um, I, I think we're pretty far along, and still a lot of open space to go, but um, Yeah.
4: I would just tag in here, Jim alluded to it, right? In the manufacturing setting, you go back to the late 60s with Dick Morley putting the logic controllers on the factory floor. So the physics remain the same, sensors sending data to some hub where we make analytical meaning out of it. I kind of, when we have these chats, I look at it more of a, we're at an industry 4.0 inflection of digital at scale. And what what that means from seeing it both in the the GE Ventures perspective as well now is uh, with the Prisker Group, Um, The amount of data, as you mentioned, Nick, that's coming off the factory floor, we're just now in the early innings of actually the pipes and the infrastructure just extract it, clean it, model it, and even get it ready for the the highest level of analytical meaning. We're still trying to to get to that point where we can really use it for it. But there's an enormous amount of value out there for
3: sure. I think of things in terms of uh, technology platforms, and the Internet of Things is going to be the fabric of what I call the information society, and if you think the Internet was pervasive, uh, the Internet of Things is going to be quantum leaps ahead of that, and that's going to create phenomenal opportunities, a tremendous amount of experimentation, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out
0: all right let's let's talk about a a tangible application here so smart homes Um, i was fortunate to just set up a drop cam a nest cam in my house for my newborn um i'd like to hear your thoughts on the smart home different things that are happening in that sector and you know impact and winners in the space as you see it anyone's free to open
1: yeah uh (laughs) i don't know you know honestly i don't i so we we deal mostly in cellular so i I don't see a whole lot of smart home stuff, and I actually think that the bulk of IoT will be commercial and industrial. And smart home is um, uh, it's interesting, but not necessarily where a lot of the action will take place. Like old school MDM stuff is still significantly more pervasive. Um, but that being said, I do think it is interesting to speculate. If I had to pick a winner, um, I was thinking about it. Like I think I would pick Amazon mainly because. Uh, you know, now with like their Whole Foods acquisition stuff, we're all going to be you know, prime citizens, fed prime meals by Jeff Bezos, and so on. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I don't really know, but that, that's probably my best guess.
6: I don't really have an answer to the question, but you know, people mostly saying you know the smart home is the dumb home, um, and I think you know until we sort out security issues and kind of interoperability, um, there's just not going to be a seamless solution. So Amazon is you know, maybe going towards one angle and solving you know a part of it, but I think there's a lot that needs to be sorted out.
3: I think the economics of it are going to be a big deal if you think about it. I mean, how do you add cost to all the devices in a home that you might want to have as part of the system? And the other thing is just standards. I think there's still going to be room for standards to I know there's plenty of interoperability now, but Like somebody once said, standards are a good thing. Everybody ought to have one. All
0: right. Uh, Question for the investors here. Ty and Jenny. So what do you guys look at when you're evaluating metrics as well as sort of key success factors with consumer-based IoT versus enterprise?
4: Uh, I'll take a swing at enterprise. So you know it certainly doesn't start with the technology i'm very much going to look at the team first and foremost and a couple of reference right that domain specific knowledge means a lot to me looking at industrial type of applications cuz it is an emerging industry and it's it's going to take some fighting through those nuances to actually bring that product to scale within an organization. So, you know, if you look at some of the metrics below that, right, you, you would look at revenue and, and bookings growth month over month over that stuff. But there are certainly a lot of hardware plus software plays out there. And with the nuance of adding that hardware component, um, you certainly, I want to see, you know, cash efficiency and how you're, how you're ultimately going to scale into where you want that hardware to be a platform for a software recurring revenue is usually what I'm looking for you know, somewhere on the order of magnitude of a million in ARR is ultimately where I will start to say, I think I'm seeing that product market fit. So it's a few things that, that I think about. Um, and ultimately, I, I certainly would also want to see that product really start to find what its market focus is. Because I think, again, as much nuance as between the oil and gas industry versus, uh, you know, power and water, there are certainly domain specific nuances that it's not as easy as people think to just take a general. IOT platform, or product for that matter, and just roll the markets. I I really like when people dig in and really try to become specific to one vertical or the other.
6: So with consumer, you know, you have to surprise and delight the user, right? And so um, I think that's been, on the first wave of um, of IoT devices, has been lacking a little bit. And so one thing that we look for, I invested in a connected lock company. They kind of watched the first wave. They watched the Augusts and everyone else and took a very different approach. So we're looking at the pre-seed level less around metrics and more around team. And so a very product-focused fo- team um, who's been able to kind of watch and learn is, is really what we're looking for
0: you know there seems to be a lot more metric publications and, and information on SaaS companies do you use SaaS methodologies and and SaaS metrics when evaluating an iot company with a recurring revenue stream
4: i would say it's really hard to do that and especially again in my industry focus around manufacturing and industrial we um you know, we're just looking for some initial market traction, right? It's not like we're going to find a T2, D3 company. If you look at Bessemer metrics, it's just on this wild curve. Because if if we go back again to how I think that we're really just now getting the infrastructure built out for these different technologies to scale within a big industrial enterprise, um, I think you're really looking at, I see a pilot with that company and that company. And I'm, I, I very much appreciate that. And I see where you're going. I'm equally going to evaluate that company you have a pilot with and the infrastructure that they have built around their future thoughts in enterprise IoT because one or two pilots does not scale an enterprise unless the enterprise first has its act together. So I would say back to your question, really, really hard to put up against a SaaS type scale.
6: I would add. um, So I just helped uh, an industrial IoT company raise their Series B, and all the metrics I'd say were looked more like Series A. So MRR was high, but things like margins and um, you know other other metrics that you'd look like. So I always call them kind of like they're in their teenage years, right? They're not quite up to what Series B metrics would be. They were you know maybe A and a half. So I think you um, there's a lot of uh, leverage that's or um, leeway that's given when people are raising money at the at those stages that's been my experience
0: for those that don't know t2 d3 triple twice double three times in the first five years
4: yeah, I mean, I think the narrative here is if you hit a, a million in ARR, we're hoping that you go on some crazy rocket ship adventure called Bessemer <laughs> Land, where you triple your earnings or your revenues twice, and then you uh, double it the next three years, and you're magically at $100 million in revenue. So hardware, as uh, as my colleague here mentioned, um, there's margins to be looked at, and we want to watch this progress, and it's definitely different than a software-based SaaS model. So.
0: Good. All right. So question for some of the non-investors up here. If you're working with entrepreneurs and or coaching entrepreneurs that have an IoT technology with both consumer and enterprise applications, what advice would you have for them on where to focus and how to find sort of that initial traction and and market fit?
3: Well, I've spent most of my time on the uh, industrial side, and I think you're going to see... Uh, the companies that do well are going to focus uh, the value is going to be more as you move up the technology stack rather than down not to say there aren't good businesses down at the device and hardware side but there's going to be a lot more value generated as you move up into analytics and applications and so forth so with an industrial play I just had a meeting a couple weeks ago and uh, the entrepreneur said well I think I'm thinking going after these five industries and I said why I mean, what are you learning from five industries? I mean, you've you've got to focus. If you're going to deliver analytics, you're going to see a lot of fragmentation, I believe. And then you're going to see things roll up at some point in time. I don't know if it's going to be five years from now, but all these analytics plays and platform plays, some won't survive, obviously, but they're going to roll up. So I'm looking for somebody to focus and win something, okay, where you can deliver real value in an IoT environment. The thing I would argue against call me scarred by a previous experience is it's not just about the data. Okay, really. I mean, you, you've got... It's what you do with the data that matters.
5: I think Jim's last point is a really important one is that especially in the the city space, we have a lot of IoT companies coming at cities that, that do have that focus of it's about the data, give us your data, we'll monetize your data. It actually... The data actually isn't it and especially for cities that are making their data public it's about the insights and the business value of the data and if you don't have that focus of where to deliver the value you're going to lose the traction
4: any other thoughts other panelists I think uh, and Ben we've had some of this conversation right Um, to Jim's point you've got to figure out not not just you know what specific domain as we've talked about a couple times where in the tech stack do you fit? And again, I'll go back to the fact that the kind of the salt and pepper uh, is an analogy some of my former colleagues have used around the extraction, the the, the modeling of the data, getting it clean in the right setting. How much of the stack do you bite off so that you think you ultimately enable yourself to provide the analytic? That is a non-trivial portion to do the bottom part behind the scenes of the stack. But there are novel companies, and I think, Ben, you fit in this category, that's using it in a certain way to wedge yourself into where you then have your own set of data no one else does. That's pretty interesting, but it is certainly uh, impressive to go after the, the full meal deal.
3: So I did a little homework exercise here. Uh, as part of the IoT Council, I'm the, I run the, the teams that uh, try to keep the inventory of all the near Midwest companies that are IoT companies, develop case studies, um, investigate research projects in IoT. And I said, well, I got this tech stack, and you can find it on the ITA website, but we've got a tech stack of IoT companies I think we've got about 120 to 130 identified and then near Midwest. But I took the 12 companies that were tech stars, and as close as I could, some of you founders might argue with the bucket I put you in. But essentially, you're spread across the whole tech stack, from down at the device hardware side all the way up to the application. You, know, you make a choice. You focus. Um, I would argue that you probably, unless you've got one hell of a lot of money, you're probably not going to cover a lot of sections of the stack. Jim, where do you
0: see some of the biggest opportunities in the stack from your standpoint?
3: I really do believe, well, let me give you an example. A friend of mine's invested in a what would sound like a truly boring analytics company. Okay, what do they do? All they do is simple analytics on stormwater waste systems around the U.S. That is it. That is all they do. There are 100,000 stormwater waste systems in the United States. I mean, this is boring as a box of rocks, okay? But think of the leverage they can get from everything they've learned there, and somebody's going to roll that up. So, again, I think... It's a find a way to, to win off your knowledge. We talk about domain knowledge and we kind of throw domain knowledge around, but it's learning the pain that the space you're dealing with has and being able to show them what they really get out of it. So I think industrial has a long way to go. I think healthcare could be phenomenal, but I'm kind of in the middle of helping a healthcare company now. And Has anybody ever dealt with the technology side of healthcare? It is... It's challenging. But I, I think healthcare can be huge. Uh, there's a lot going on in telehealth. Actually, a company that uses some of the technology from my last company has been working at it for nine years to get to the point where they can leverage telehealth in the home. And I, and I think they're going to get a, a tremendous home run. But on the healthcare side, you have to be patient. Nothing moves quickly in healthcare. Industrial, I think, you can move a lot more quickly. I'm not that knowledgeable about smart cities. And
0: Maybe we'll start out with, with Jenny on this one. Uh, what do you think are some of the key factors that are limiting progress and or proliferation of, of IoT, and how do you think those things will be addressed?
6: Well, I think for a long time it was, you know, capital in the system and, you know, innovative companies, and I think that's really changing. So I guess my answer, being someone that's invested in seventy startups, many of them IoT, is that you know the innovation and the future is sitting in this room, and that's going to make its way into large corporates that are also in this room. So, got to move earlier, Ty.
4: I'm trying, um, <laughs> trying. That's why you partner up with Techstars. Um, I I would say that I usually come down to five things, honestly. The first of which is just straight-up integration, right? You are taking your industrial technology into sometimes the most gnarly Frankenstein set of software that you could possibly imagine. So I often see that uh, underestimated in terms of actually getting your lights on to your solution. Um, The second one would be security, and I probably don't need to go into too much detail because everyone here understands, right? There are still PLCs out there running on Modbus protocols that... It's just shocking that you could uh, national infrastructure that relies on this stuff. So some maturity there. Uh, Business model wise, CapEx to OpEx is something we always talk about. I want to go sell you my robot as a service. We'll use that as an example the people you're selling into i have seen it time and time again i yeah i want to try out your robot and i ultimately just then want to purchase it i, I don't want to do this leasing model thing because actually robotic arms are pretty resilient i don't need to buy one or get the latest greatest so know when you come to the business model with a you know a high total contract value i'm going to kind of push back a little bit and say you know there's some reality to that too right um the fourth one I would say is perception, and I think a lot of the conversations I have around investing in in AI and automation in the factory um, you know I honestly had someone at a conference want leave leave our conversation and say. Have fun eating dinner with your robot friends. And I was like, really? Um, Really said that to me? And so I think what I take from that is the onus is on us to ultimately tell a narrative. And the data I have seen, it separates the difference between I do not think occupations are are just going to disappear in the big scheme of things. I think the human will always be involved in what we're doing for sure. It's the activities that will mature within those occupations, and it's on our onus to help train those workers of the future to enable them with the digital skills to equip where we want the technology to go. And then the last one is really just around the talent base. Again, it goes into this training ecosystem. We have to evolve the ecosystem, and I think the world of what UI labs and the DMDII are, are doing here in our backyard. It's kind of like a crown jewel to have this in Chicago for an investor here. So I think those are really the five things over and over and over again I come to a conversation with founders. So,
0: Just on, that, on the CapEx, OpEx point, do you like to see a startup go after an existing line item on a, on a company's OpEx or CapEx as opposed to maybe an intangible productivity benefit or some sort of opportunistic upside. I'd love to hear your take from the business standpoint and maybe Brenna's take from a government standpoint on this one.
4: I do like that the founder, if you'll call it, you know, this is the Andreessen term, the idea maze, that when I'm going to that person that I want to sell this into, I have ran in my head the idea maze around what that person's going to position back to me, he's going to pull out his PL, he's going to pull out how much his quarterly budget to spend on R&D is, and I like them to then tell that narrative of why this new as-a-service model will save you X, Y, and Z, and let's just go ahead and head that conversation off before we get to all the good things about about what I'm doing and then you ultimately shut me down So I do, I do like it when they're direct with it.
6: I think it's hard if you're investing in frontier technologies right um, because' you're, you're betting on something that's coming you know that'll be 10, 15 years out and so you know I think it, it just depends where where you're interested in putting your money.
3: As an operator I've learned that the biggest leverage is revenue and the next is profitability. I mean, If you can show somebody how you can help them generate more revenue or more profitability, the intangible sale, especially with an early technology and all that, if you have a real early adopter, that might work. But pain is your friend, okay? You want to be a drug dealer, okay? You don't want to sell vitamins. You want to sell drugs, okay? And so you look for pain.
5: I think the two levers for cities are around savings and then resident impact, which is sort of the more qualitative one. Um, and it is about it is about the pain as well. Um, savings can be a little bit tricky because the the budgets for cities are a little bit are a little bit more complicated and you need to dig in and understand them. So being able to quantify those savings with the customer is critical and helping them understand or you at least understanding when you go in What those savings are going to mean for them because not all savings are the same. Can they repurpose those savings? Um, Because it is possible to go in wherever you're going into the city and save them money that they can't repurpose, in which case you actually have not helped them. Um, Because they need to spend that money, they're going to spend it in the same place, and they're not going to buy whatever you've walked in to sell them. Um, Cities will be early adopters. That's, you know, cities are. Are risk-averse. Um, they're supposed to be. They're spending taxpayer dollars. Um, but one of the reasons that that we're here is because Chicago is a is a less risk-averse city than some. Um, and we want to find those cities that are willing to go into a pilot. And I'll talk about a pilots you want to be careful with cities because the U.S. is littered with pilots that cities have done and then never gone anywhere but if you can go into a city and talk to them about the value of the pilot and how you scale from there you will find cities that are less risk averse than others and willing to take that risk with you as a around an early technology when the value proposition is very clear
0: Ben you've had tremendous progress What, what was the original hypothesis for you and then how did you really get to that sort of strong value proposition product market fit
1: yeah, uh, tremendous. Uh, thank, you, thank you. Thank you for that.
0: Uh, I don't want to share your, mas- your no. metrics, but they're strong.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I, think, I think we've done okay. I mean, but um, I don't know. I, I think the question you asked around sort of going after consumer versus enterprise and then also uh, talking about what parts of the stack you build, I think for us, uh, it took us a long time to actually figure out what we needed to focus on. Um, and I would highly recommend, uh, in general, for IoT platforms that you. You don't really count on the fact that like consumers are going to care very much. Um, I think that ultimately, um, for us, what's been really really helpful is finding people who are deploying interesting applications uh, and focusing on meeting really really. Concrete needs rather than focusing on connecting things just for the sake of connecting things, um, so that's probably the best and I think those exist mostly in enterprise, which I guess is why I'm downplaying the, the consumer uh, concept um, so that that's probably my best advice in, in how we've we've made progress, but it's, it's been a slog, but you know we're we're doing it.
0: Good all right uh, we'll wrap up here with a final question. So Ty, you brought up privacy and security before? Um, Maybe we could start with you and come down the panel this way. But how do you think about privacy and security, and do you think the government has a role to play?
4: Uh, I'll go back again to the example. The the light bulb Baja moment for me was uh, folks probably have seen the Aurora generator test back in 2007, and you simply tap in again to uh, a logic controller that's run by an old protocol, and you can shut down. A piece of the American infrastructure, right? And that takes like a year or two to to rebuild that generator, so it's non-trivial. What I would say, though, and then we see things like WannaCry and, and other things even more modern times, but I am seeing a lot of activity of finally the DevOps and the security folks are starting to work together as opposed to one passes it off to the other. And at the container level, in a lot of the applications that we're seeing, you know, just saying the word Docker or some of these other items that is where you need to bring that evolution of these new technologies into the security and the IT offices so that that's pre-baked and that you have a solution that at the application or microservice level can, without shutting down the process, a manufacturing line is, is certainly not going to have the time to do all this reintegration. So I think there are certainly some some technologies coming at it at the most granular level that's really going to help out with this, I think.
6: Um, So I'll give you an interesting practical data point, which is we get thousands of applications for our program. We get no applications around um, IoT security. So, and I like go around all the time. I'm like, if you're working on IoT security, you should apply. It's really interesting. Entrepreneurs are are not in masses working on this. Um, and I think you know, there's maybe two reasons. It seems like consumer IoT. We like to talk about you know the smart home and how we want it secure. The truth is, I don't think consumers really care, right? They're pretty they're pretty happy to give away their data if they can get something free. And so, you know, maybe going back to the you know, is it a vitamin or is it a pain uh, killer? is that maybe maybe in the home or with consumers it's more of a vitamin and I think now that we're seeing you know, more interesting use cases around industrial I would hope more people are taking that more seriously and we'll see more entrepreneurs working on um, IoT security but right now we're not seeing them.
5: So cities care, um, and security is definitely one of the things slowing down adoption of IoT in cities because of the the risk aversion to that aspect of it. Um, and privacy is a huge issue for cities. Cities are taking it on differently because privacy is a deeply cultural issue, and how we define privacy in Chicago is different than how they define it in Seattle is different than how they define it in New York. Um, but something that cities have to tackle is how they're going to deliver a a privacy policy that their residents accept as they implement censors, et cetera, in the public way. So that's definitely a challenge. You asked a second question, though, around what role does government have to play in that. Um, and I think we're actually seeing the federal government start to play a role in that. Right? Was it three days ago that you had legislation uh, proposed around IoT security at the federal level? If anybody's read it yet, I might, am I the only dork in the room that's read it yet? I knew and you did. Yep. Um, And we're actually talking about, you know, do we decide to say something about that? Because uh, not all of it is well informed. Um, So whether or not we think they have a role to play, they think they have a role to play. Um, And I think the balance is going to be, does the legislation uh, stymie innovation? Right. Because they've already decided they have a role to play. So the question is, you know, do whoever they are, I mean, do you go to your congressman and lobby them for, for what they say about it and now the legislation's already out there so that that legislation doesn't slow down the innovation and growth of your product?
0: Is there an analog that we've seen in the past, like similar rollout of technology that the government's had to play a role in that could limit and or enable? Any thoughts? Any panelists?
1: Email the internet in general.
5: Yeah.
0: The
1: internet in general. Yeah, I, I think I think that you know, in people talk about IoT security a lot, but it, it's like this notion that it's somehow new. Um, but it really, it's just internet security applied to devices and any concept of security. Separate. I think this is why there's a challenge with startups who are tackling like IoT security, quote unquote, because to separate security from the device is is really challenging. And to like I solve a security problem for your devices that you're building. Um, I think it's like from a go to market perspective is really, really challenging. So we take the position that, you know, at hologram and with everything we do that it should be secure by design and just like you know the consumer doesn't really care, but the device manufacturer when their you know devices get taken over by a botnet is going to care. Uh, and so but but at the same time, that's not a reason why they're going to pay for us, but they just want to know that it's secure. So so,
6: the manufacturers care. The media cares.
1: Well, they'll care if you have, for example, like a hundred thousand devices that get bricked, and then all of a sudden your business evaporates. Uh, if it's if it's you know something that's industrial and like requires getting data back uh, on a regular basis, if it's a Nest thermostat, they might not care. They just be like, oh, we have to send you a new thermostat or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I think that ultimately IoT security is just internet security, and the real challenge is creating actual software that runs on devices whether it's legacy devices or new devices uh, and, and the only way to do that is to, to really um, you know, focus, on, focus on actually building a holistic
0: solution, I suppose. Alright, some final thoughts here from Jim and then we'll wrap up with some Q&A.
3: So I think privacy is going to be a very interesting area in, in how the government deals with this. Uh, I can... Uh, Without getting into names, uh, talk about the concept of one company that was on a rocket ship of growth because it took Facebook and Twitter feeds and it pretty accurately told the police where bad stuff was happening or going to happen. They were sued by the ACLU and put out of business. Uh, So there's going to be a very interesting play here of what is private and what isn't and what's for the general good uh, the second area that privacy is going to be a challenge is there's so much that can be done again with healthcare and telehealth but there's a thing called HIPAA there's a thing called the privacy of patient information and yet you're trying to analyze that It kind of conflicts with the SaaS model or where you're processing in the cloud rather than behind a firewall. So there's going to be tremendous opportunities, but privacy is going to be, I think, a a big issue.
0: This episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex corporate card for startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards, automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend, and all with no personal guarantee. Sign up at Brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. If you run an angel group, or you would like your LPs to invest in deal-by-deal sidecars, go to assure.co slash TFR for 20% off your first SPV. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to packwest.com to learn more. Okay, let's open it up to Q&A. And if you do have a question, if you're willing to come up to the mics, that would be great. All right, we got a question up
6: here.
7: I'm Steve Case and I'm a manufacturer and I had a nice conversation with the digital labs last week about how they could make their their, uh, technology scalable. When you have a manufacturer, you mentioned pain and revenue. The problem is you have to find a manufacturer who has pain, who wants revenue, and is willing to solve the problem. That third thing could be a problem. Yes. How do you imagine scaling what you could do for an industrial manufacturer? How do you imagine having those one-off conversations in a way where you can really afford this? That sales force and that scalability. Well, first, it
3: uh, it does depend on the market to to which you've decided to focus. Uh, if you're up at the enterprise level, large companies, well, then you can afford a direct sales force, and you can build out a way to sell and and uh, support that. If you choose to go for small and medium business, which for many tech people has been a graveyard, uh, selling to small and medium businesses, uh, you, you do need to find a way to combine some direct sales and uh, some very efficient uh, lead generation. Uh, that's a- absolutely uh, essential to do that. And the other thing I would argue is, I think if you're gonna play in the industrial space, you should. One of the benefits of focusing is you can very quickly build out metrics and things that you can apply across the industry. And the smartest thing you can do is is early on build out a survey uh, that develops some metrics that you can share that fit the industry, because people like some security. They they, they don't like it, making a decision that that could be a failure for them they're looking for comfort so I would argue that you do that as far as the small companies go that's a very challenging very challenging sales model
0: other questions questions from the audience yeah got one over here
7: uh, hi guys uh, Don clippinger could you maybe comment um, where you see like wearables being positioned and kind of a shout out to uh, I was out at a tech Nexus uh, yesterday they had a great actually great uh, Tom Emmerich came back here for a kind of a return engagement about the We are wearables group and uh, TechNexus had a great uh, presentation on kind of I guess it was some kind of sponsored study and first responder wearables. This is all around the work environment workplace, so it was kind of on the you know enterprise side but uh, from fitness to um, sort of the you know proximity the meeting sort of you know uh, how to bring people together with wearables and there's obviously the medical technologies and um, you know through here at UI labs, they've looked at um, augmented reality and other things like that. So maybe human, human augmentation as it relates to IoT or kind of the wearables in general, maybe comments on that. Thank you. I think there's, a,
3: there's an interesting conflict built in uh, when you talk about wearables and data. On the one hand, plethora of data. Okay, I, and I, I lived through one example with a real deal with, let's say, a very well-known wearables company, okay? And the very well-known wearables company said, we've got all this data, we've got to do something about it. And there was a book written about 14 decades ago called The Innovator's Dilemma, and why big companies can't innovate, why companies that are focused in one area can't move to another area. And this company really wanted to figure out what to do with the data, and they never got anywhere. Why? Because they manufactured and sold wearables. So I think there's going to be an interesting challenge for wearables companies to do something with that data. There's tremendous value in that data. And if you anonymize it, it can be even more valuable, I think. But it's making the leap to doing something with the data that I think is going to be the challenge.
5: Yeah, just to speak more to some of the use cases, there's some really interesting wearable use cases. Like you mentioned, some of the public safety use cases um, around the body worn cameras and things. Um, Outside of the public safety uh, at the enterprise level in cities, especially around building inspections, et cetera, the ability to have real time data to enhance those inspections, which streamlines the workforce. Right, because right now you have a specialized inspector for every system in a building, which means, you know, dozens of different kinds of inspectors. Instead of having one inspector in a building and specialized inspectors sitting back at a center um, and pushing data back and forth and having wearables that are collecting information to enhance that inspection process um, would make inspections faster and much more efficient. Um, and so there's, there's uses where, um, where, those, where wearables can actually enhance the, the process of, of many city processes and how those workers are behaving out in the field, um, even beyond public safety. And those are a couple of the use cases that we're looking at here in the lab. I think um, on the
6: consumer side, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, right? So, um, you know, on the health side, I think there's been a lot of kind of disappointments. Um, you know, if you look at quantified self, Americans are getting, you know, fatter and less healthy and that They're buying more bracelets to tell them that, I guess. Um, But like on a more positive note, one of our most successful companies that went through my program two and three and a half years ago is a company called Owlet, and it's a sock uh, that monitors vitals for newborns. And you know, getting back to you know, is this a nice to have or a must have? You know, many parents feel like this is a must have. So I think if the pain is there, a wearable can be a really interesting solution.
0: Yeah, even Fitbit, which is. Lauded, as a universal success, went through significant challenges in the private markets. Had to go through insider rounds and a lot of challenging experiences before they kind of had their path to IPO. So um, I think they're also a good example, though, of finding a key need. Fitbit, Fitbit found a key need and used that as a beachhead to sort of build out a huge business. And we've made two investments in wearables-oriented companies, and both of those are doing the same things. They found a key need, a key application that, that they can really build traction in, and they're using that as a beachhead to build much bigger value across a range of applications. Other Q&A. Okay, we've got one over here. My name is Scott Sargis. Ben, originally, early on in this conversation, you, you'd alluded to... Uh, amazon you know acquisition of whole foods and how they could energize that could you all you and everyone on the panel comment on how amazon is going to ramp up whole foods in general with technology and in specific with iot oh, man.
1: uh yeah i don't know i i, re- <laughs> I really have no idea but uh, i think it's fascinating. Um, I think if you just consider not just Whole Foods, but if you just consider what the—I mean—I hope I hope this is a little embarrassing, but like I haven't—I live above Mariano's that I've been to three times, Uh, and this is mainly because I order literally everything online. Uh, Instacart from the Mariano's (laughs) right below you. Uh, Maybe (laughs) I might have done that a couple times, Uh, but uh, but but no. So I think when you talk about like the future of, of the way like the way this plays out, right? Ultimately, is that you know you can. And this is why I actually picked Amazon, right, is that what do you actually really care about smart home stuff doing? Like, does it need to adjust your thermostat or whatever? I don't know. I think really you care about it stocking your home with things, and Amazon's able to do that for you. Um, And presumably they'll make it easier for you to do that with food. So that's my best answer.
4: I'll I'll take a swing at this one. Uh, What I have found interesting about Amazon is, so they now have a freight forwarder. They now have, I don't know how many airplanes on lease for their own air air transport. We all see these little Amazon trucks running around Chicago now doing their own deliveries. From a supply chain perspective, and this could correlate itself into industrial use cases and where the future of warehousing and distribution within warehousing goes and everything's getting hyperlocal. It needs to be here like like five minutes from now. I think they just picked up 400 or so distribution nodes that if they play their cards right and they put the right Uh, automation, if you'll call it that, Uh, distribution tech is is kind of a a hot space I'm really looking into. I think that could be a very interesting distribution play. And I think ultimately, uh, now I think my my price and my Instacart delivery from from Whole Foods, if they keep the relationship, hopefully it'll come down too. So uh, I think it's a good thing.
6: Angie with Texar, so um, clearly a lot of the startups here are international from Denmark to Portugal to Germany so it sounds like IoT is definitely an international phenomenon in terms of every country's thinking about it um, you all have very interesting perspectives I'm sure think about this a lot but where would you benchmark the U.S. in terms of how we think about IoT
5: from a city's perspective a government perspective or even as a commercial choice it so the city one's pretty easy to answer if you want me to go first because we're about 10 years behind um where europe is and where your sort of developed countries in asia are Um, so that's sort of the easy answer um developing countries have the beauty of leapfrogging which we don't hear because we're saddled with age-old infrastructure both technical and physical infrastructure um and i think because of our government structure, which is just not as, as centralized and socialist as it is in Europe, it takes us longer to build the stakeholder buy-in for large, um, for large city deployments of any kind of centralized solution. So it's slower to build here, uh, but there's been large increasing investments in cities in the U.S., large and small, that are closing that gap. But Europe um, and developed cities in, in Asia, et cetera, South America is on par with, with North America is about 10 years behind.
3: Uh, In my last industrial deal, I found uh, Europe and uh, even to a certain extent China uh, were just as open to what we were doing in the predictive analytics space. Uh, I don't know. I do know that since I really do think IoT is this fabric that's going to affect everyone, I think there's going to be just as many opportunities outside the US as inside the US. I think the US might be a little bit ahead in innovation. And funding uh, in this area versus what's going on in in Europe and maybe some other parts of the world. Any other comments?
0: I'm just thrilled that Jenny brought so many European-based IoT companies here because
6: yeah, I mean I'm long international. That's
0: <laughs> to it's tough to find them out there. I've got a few venture partners in Europe, and uh, they they have trouble finding IoT deals. So clearly, you guys have done a good job, but.
4: I, I just quickly add it's. It's been fascinating partnering with TechStars the last couple of years. At the aggregate data level, we, we you literally scour the earth looking for the top premier class and seeing the numbers as they shifted year over year. In itself, has just been very interesting to see that global impact specific to where we have spent our time looking in IoT. So I would certainly uh, if if you were interested, this it's some fascinating data you guys put together from all the all the searching you guys do. One more question.
2: All right.
0: all right. Hi, my name is Ibrahim. I'm an undergraduate studying engineering at Northwestern. And as someone who's interested in smart cities and IoT, there's not really an IoT degree. So what sort of educational background or something that I can do to prepare myself to enter the IoT field? I'm not I'm not doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are all your backgrounds? You can...
6: I've, got, I've got a couple.
0: Of, I mean,
1: I would, I would say, did you say computer science? Did you say computer? Where is it? Computer engineering,
4: uh,
1: manufacturing, design, engineering. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I,
3: just just build stuff.
1: <laughs>
3: best best advice. <laughs> I don't know how much Northwestern is doing in this area. I went to Illinois Tech and got a double E degree, and they've been doing things in microgrid and a lot of other things for quite a while. So. Uh, I'd look for those projects. I know Northwestern has had a lot of entrepreneurial stuff going on. Don't know exactly if anything would fit, but like you said, build stuff and dive into it.
6: I don't think it really matters. I was a history major. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you follow your passion of what you want to do, and your degree is, you know, is your degree. You're, you're at a great school, and um, whatever you study, like you'll make it happen.
0: Okay. I think that wraps things up. Thanks to all the panelists for for coming. And thanks to to you all for the Q&A. Okay. That'll wrap things up for today. I hope you enjoyed the panel discussion on the future of IoT. And check out the website, fullratchet.net. We recently did a refresh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think of the new site. Okay, thanks for joining me today, and we'll see you again soon. Until then, always remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening.